0: People are going to be writing about us for the rest of our lives for me, and after we're dead. So I intend to either confuse the issue so much they never
1: knew what was going on, or to try and keep shoving out bits and bits. So as whoever is bothered
0: to be looking at it in the future, the people that really know will sort out, you know, they'll know what was going on a bit. There's a lot of books about the Beatles, a lot of theories, and I try not to read them. And whenever I do, the first thing is like, oh, that's wrong.
1: where you go trying to find out any little bit of dirt that they can write about you. Beatles is Beatles app, Beatles, Beatles, Beatles.
2: It doesn't matter, you know, what what people say, you can't
1: live all your life by what they want.
2: Another Kind of Mind, a different kind of Beatles podcast by Another Kind of Mind.
0: Oh, and welcome to another kind of mind today i'm thrilled to welcome to the show guest host allison bumstead and kenneth womack author of living the beatles legend the mal evans story ken it's nice to meet you i'm phoebe you know allison i can. sure do very
1: proud <laughs> and, to know allison oh thank you
0: me too Oh, thank you guys. I love you all too.
1: (laughs) You guys are so wonderful to do this. I sure appreciate
0: it. Oh, come on. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show. Heck yeah. Yeah. Very excited. And I was uh, very excited to read the book. Oh, awesome. You guys
1: liked it. Yes. Yes. Oh, good. (laughs) I have to tell you, I'm so worried that someone's going to say too long, didn't read.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, not at all. It really? actually, I, I thought when I looked at it, I was like, "This is almost six hundred pages. That seems really long." But it didn't feel; it felt like it was two hundred pages. It, it really was a quick read.
2: Yeah, Oh, it was, good. It was quite easy to read. Quite easy to read, and in a positive
0: oh. way.
1: Yes. Oh, good.
0: Yeah, I found it very readable. Actually, that was my first comment to Allison. Was this is this is very readable. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Oh well thanks you guys at uh, you don't know the level of relief i am feeling right now.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I've been looking forward to it ever since i heard it was happening. I'm really pleased to say that it didn't let me down. It was it was very readable. It felt very vivid and um to me this is my my impression of the book. I don't know if anybody said this to you yet but it felt voyeuristic. Again, in the best possible way, it didn't feel uh, disconnected or distant the way that, you know, some Beatles books you read and it's just well tread territory that you've read a million times. So a lot of books can come off as just sort of like book reports if they're covering the same material over and over again. (laughs) And even though these were all events that, that, you know, all the big events we're familiar with, but something about the way that you wrote it and maybe it was you know weaving in all of mal's personal written testimony um it really gave like a like a fly on the wall kind of vibe well
1: i appreciate that very much and i think that's the best we could do for mal really is to try to give him his space and so I made a rule for myself. I'd done this with the John Lennon book a few years ago, where if if Mal didn't really see it, it didn't happen. So I wanted the book yeah. to sort of be rest, resting on his shoulder. And what he's seeing is what we're experiencing. And so that's the only way I could see talking about those, as you said, well-trodden events that we all know, you know, over and over again. But, you know, you have to point to some of those touchstones along the way. Um, and I wanted it always to be from Mal's perspective.
2: I just wanted to add to what uh, Phoebe said is that reading it, it, it was very readable, but what I really appreciated is that Mal was never lost in in the, in the world of the Beatles. And what I mean is in the sense that this book was about Mal and I really loved that is I felt like I got to know mm-hmm. him um, rather than a disguise of it being about Mal, but really focused on the Beatles. And I love that, I love that
1: so much. That is a big misnomer that needed to be corrected. Uh, that in fact, Mal wasn't, you know, kicked out of the garden. Mal wasn't alone for six years and then died. That he was a full participant as much as he could be in their world, um, mm-hmm. because everybody needs a Mal, right? We all do. <laughs> and yeah. uh, three of them didn't have to give up their Mal. I understand why. Why Paul perhaps uh, could do less with Mal during that period, given the nature of the lawsuit and. And their legal hostilities, you know, Mal was sort of the kids, the kids always lose, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, you know, Mal wasn't expelled from the garden. Mal still participated in that world as fully as he could. And it's funny how that misnomers developed so much over the years that some of the folks I spoke to who knew Mal in the early to mid-70s believed that. And then I'd have to say, well, um, let's look at the evidence. And they'd be like, oh, that's right, George called all the time. or you know, Mal was constantly working with Ringo, etc.
0: Yeah, even I had thought that and I knew better, actually, like when I was reading through the 70s, I was like, I know that he was there. Why do why do I still have the impression that he was cut off from? Every- I mean, I guess you just think because after the Beatles have broken up, then everything is splintered and our brains just kind of fill in the blanks there and assume that. Well, Mal is adrift after after the breakup of the band. That's right,
1: and you know, I wanted I wanted the world to see, and I hope they do that that Mal had his own dreams and aspirations and ambitions, things that he wanted to do, and some of them he made happen. Right he had a he had a big cut, a big song that he wrote that he'd written on a on a major LP release in 1973. You know, so he was realizing some of his those aspirations. Um, there were just so many more to go.
2: So Ken, from my understanding, Mal's family reached out to you, but my, I suppose, had you planned to write anything about Mal beforehand? And a second part to this, would it have been possible to really encompass Mal without his diaries?
1: Ooh, good question. So nobody knows this. I will announce it here first forever. It's probably not very important, but I, years ago... I thought I would write a novel about Mal, and I was trying to put together the character that we all know and love. And I mean, this is like 15 years ago and uh, I thought I could cobble something out of it, but I quickly came to the realization that I didn't have any good primary material to work with. You know, Wikipedia is mostly wrong. And that was useless. So I, you know, I didn't know what to do. And I, I dropped that project. So, when uh, Gary Evans contacted me, and it was through a mutual friend of ours, who I think you know, too, Simon, Simon Beitzman, the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I met Gary in three minutes in a Zoom call during COVID. I knew I would write something about Mal for Gary. Because once you meet Gary, and I hope you both will soon, he's just wonderful. You know, he's mm-hmm. kind of like Mal. You want to do stuff for him. So I knew I would do it. But during that first meeting, I said, so, you know, Gary, is it true that there's all this stuff? And Gary said, yeah, do you want to see it? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and, and, and really I'm doing the math in my head. And I'm thinking I can get 80,000 words on Mal Evans just mm-hmm. by writing his story inside the Beatles story. Um, yeah. But of course I hadn't read anything yet. Then. And so when Gary Sent all the material to New Jersey and I had some time to look through it. And it was an organizational kind of, I don't want to say nightmare because that makes me sound ungrateful, but it was quite a mess. I mean, there were the diaries, there were three other manuscripts. It's probably three or 400,000 words in total. There are lots of receipts and documents and two or 3,000 photos. You know, so it it really was kind of an organizational um, project for a long time. But to get back to your question, You absolutely cannot share Mal's point of view if you don't have this stuff. You just have no idea what he's thinking. And of course, what's interesting about this stuff, and I I don't like to use the non-scholarly word stuff, (laughs) but the thing about this stuff is that um, there is so much of it that Mal is pouring himself into. I really can provide a pretty full version of what he's feeling and thinking during these different periods in his life, because it's that voluminous. Yeah. So you couldn't do it without it. I mean, you could do a bare bones Beetle story and talk about this guy inside the story, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't get inside the heart of him. And Mal had a big heart. How, yeah.
2: if I can ask just to follow up, when you received these materials and, and in a disarray, how did you start? yeah, how did you approach the materials? How did you start organizing the story in your
1: mind? Well, I mean, I went in right away um, and um, a lot of the pictures just for simple weight issues, Gary had scanned for me. So I, was, I loaded those into a kind of Dropbox scenario where I could organize everything and began organizing them to years and months and events. Um, the very first thing I did, uh was to open up the 1969 diary and i shot right to may 9th 1969 because i wanted to see how mal dealt with what must have been a primal awful moment for him the day that the other beatles brought alan klein to the studio to convince paul Mm -hmm. to sign and i wanted to see how did mal react to that it must have been like watching his parents die in front of him right um and the only thing that exists there, and I, I hope you re- you recall the yeah. photo from yep. it, is just, it's. It, as I said to Mark Lewis and, uh, after I discovered it, I said, you know, this is what happens when words won't suffice. You mm. draw, and he draws this picture of poor Paul just losing his mind at this thought. And, of course, he's absolutely right. This is going to be the thing that destroys them. This is yeah. the piece that, as he said, after that night, we couldn't put it back together again. Um, and we all can understand why, um, you know, because in hindsight, we know that Alan Klein was much, much worse than any of them imagined that night at Olympic studios. But Mal's drawing of that little, almost childlike drawing of Paul losing his mind. It's like a beetle going ape shit, right? He's just, (laughs) um, he's just losing it because it's so ridiculous. And it, it jives so well with what we know Paul said in the anthology, right? The Beatles, mm-hmm. we're a big act. We don't have to sign for 25%. We don't have to sign tonight. It's the weekend. We can do this next week, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that little drawing, um, I mean, at that point, I realized, you know, and this is five minutes after opening the boxes, I realized, wait a minute. This is big. You know, this is, this is going to change how I look at some of these events.
0: Mm. Cool. He's actually uh, quite a good artist now. <laughs>
1: He is, and you haven't seen a half of it yet. You know, um, we have Mal's oh, sketchbooks. We have his drawings of John and Yoko. Um, just lots of wonderful stuff like this um, oh, wow. that, you know, is begging for publication in book two.
0: Hooray. Well, that's forthcoming. I was um, like, There's yeah. my
2: last question
0: answered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alan Klein, um, he really did not come off well. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, he isn't, he wasn't a good person, right? I mean, he was a person who consciously, (laughs) he's a person, I think we can say consciously signed with them knowing he was going to con them out of money for cutout records. He immediately took advantage of the bright tune situation with George Harrison countersuing his own client. I mean, yeah. uh, Slapping John
0: in the face.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's horrible. And, um, and really You know, a lot of people have spoken over the years. Did they pay Mal enough? Did they do enough? You know, Mal doesn't really complain about that, except for a few isolated instances. The worst thing that is done to Mal in this book is by Alan Klein. In Mal's story, Alan is horrible when he will not let Mal continue to work with Badfinger. That is cruel. It is absolute cruelty. They loved Mal. Mal loved them. He wasn't causing any trouble for Billy Collins, who was their supposed manager. Uh, you know, it was a good person working inside the, the story that becomes one of the greatest tragedies of rock and roll, which is Badfinger, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. what Alan does there is despicable. And it's sheerly for the fact that he couldn't fire Mal and Neil back in 1969. You know, Mal and Neil yeah. didn't work for him. They had that great mm-hmm. answer that we all begged for when <laughs> – you know, when if somebody's gonna fire us, we get to say, well, we don't work for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, they didn't work for Alan Klein. They worked for Beatles and Company, and he couldn't fire them. And he made their lives in different ways a living hell for the next few years while he worked with Apple. You know what he he did. He is equally horrible to, to Neil. Neil comes out of this with deep substance abuse issues issues, right? I mean, yeah, they both suffer mightily for simply having jobs when that guy is hired.
0: Yeah. And it's really striking moment in the book it was kind of like, oh, it's sort of the impetus, maybe indirectly, but basically for the end of his relationship with Paul, or at least the, the rift in his relationship with Paul, where after Mal helped set up Paul for the McCartney LP, he basically just told Mal one day, like, okay, I don't need you anymore, because obviously he couldn't have Mal in his life anymore because he was splitting and he could see it was going to be a three to one situation. Yeah. I,
1: you know, it it was horrible for Mal because he had a kind of hero worship for, for Paul Mm -hmm. and, and they had such an important relationship. And I believe important for Paul too. Mm -hmm. I think, I think Paul was being honest about the position he was putting Mal in, you know, Mal was having to sort of be a double agent. He was having to keep secrets from Neil Uh, I mean I, I kinda give Paul a little credit there because I feel like he was standing up for Mal and freeing Mal to do all the work he would do for the next several years with the other three. Um, you know, Paul had kind of created that situation and uh I mean who knows what his lawyers were telling him, right? They may have said, Look, you you Cut know we're trying to Yeah, yeah, well they may have said, We're trying to extricate you from Apple. Yeah. You want to you don't want that that business relationship anymore. It's not good for you it's arguably not good for the other three if you keep working for matt with mal you're you're working with a beatles slash apple employee yeah yeah it couldn't
0: continue yeah
1: no it couldn't and so i you know i kind of give paul a little credit there um Mm -hmm. did he do it right (laughs) is there any right way to do that right i mean mal is yeah it has such worship for him that i don't i don't know that it could have gone well Um, yeah mal mal kind of understood it years later (laughs) but not at the moment
0: yeah yeah well i guess he wasn't hurtful but he wasn't you know he kind of was just it was just kind of like well it's done bye i guess he kind of didn't want to deal with it
1: maybe the only thing he could have done is said you know look mal i've talked to my lawyers and here's what they're saying here's what it is yeah Um, he didn't do it that way, but a lot of the things weren't done well. And, uh, and how old was Paul then? 27 or 28. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he had a lot on his mind. <laughs> I'm double
0: that. And I'm still not sure about my decisions. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and also, but by the fact that he, which I had not, I didn't know until I read the book. Um, the fact that Paul reached out to him basically as soon as the ink was dry on that Beatles divorce, mm-hmm. Oh,
1: sure. I mean, they had and he'd reached out to him before the Wings tour. And what was it? 72 or 73. The Red Rose Speedway. Yeah. Um, And I love that he had those moments with Paul in December 75, because I I wonder and maybe I'm I'm giving too much credit. Maybe I have too much hero worship myself. But um, (laughs) I like to think that maybe. In his conversations with Mal, who at the time was telling everybody that he's going to go on this two thousand dollar a night lecture tour, (laughs) you know, I, I wonder if Paul was thinking to himself, you know, it may not go like he thinks it will. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> right, because, you know, Paul had his, you know, even though Paul's been in the most successful rock band of all time, he understands that a lot of these things don't go like people expect them to. And I wonder, I do wonder if maybe, um, you know, if um, if on some level he was giving Mal a landing spot, Um, and, uh, you know, I, I made a rudimentary attempt to obviously to contact them. I didn't expect to hear from him and and maybe to be fair, I'm asking Paul for, you know, 50, nearly 50 year old memories, but to my mind, he may have been actually giving Mal a landing spot knowing how, you know, especially books it's 1976. Sure. Was it going to get, was it going to catch on like wildfire or, Mm. you know, would it have? I mean, anything could have happened in 1976. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah. And over here I have Mr.
1: Malcolm Evans, who's through thick and thin would surely like to say a word of greeting at this festive occasion. Merry
2: Christmas, children, everyone.
0: I'd like to talk about the interpersonal relationships for a minute. Sure. sure. Um, Because I found the the book really revealing Um, one of the things that I realized that I did not know was that Mal and Brian kind of never really got along.
1: Yeah. I mean, he loved Brian and he respected Brian and all that good stuff. The problem was um, that, you know, Mal's job was asking him to do things that could be at variance with what Brian was about. Right. Yeah. Um. So Brian was very concerned with image. Mal was concerned with getting a show on time, right? Mal was yeah. concerned with the simple issue that he can't wear a suit and haul a bunch of equipment around. And as you now know, he wasn't just hauling the Beatles. It would often be the other bands on the on the bill, you yeah. know, now because Mal, as he would admit more, more than once, was a nice guy. So, you know, it was almost asking he was asking things from Mal that Mal couldn't do. Mal had to be a blue-collar guy at times to do that Mm. job. And that that
0: didn't always rub Brian the right way, did it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like Mal kind of, not that he disliked Brian, but that he kind of just tried to stay out of his way and (laughs) not make him mad. Right. And, you know, he, yeah, he tried to stay out of his
1: way. I mean, he looked at, even though I guess he wasn't, he looked at Brian like Brian was the boss. Yeah. You know, and so there was a kind of tension that would develop there um but you know he was just as heartbroken as anybody else when when Brian died and frankly okay. i think one of the worst things that happened to mal was Brian dying
0: yeah because yeah.
1: mal because you know Brian would have done well for the beatles too right but Brian would have done the things that a good organization needs he would have looked out for mal he would have thought about things like pension plans and how are we treating our employees and what do they have to fall back on you know yeah um, we don't want this guy going away from us and bad mouthing us, right? The mm-hmm, Beatles yeah. would have relied on, on trust as opposed yeah. to anything else. Brian would have had them sign things, you know? So, um, I, I think one of the worst things that happens to certainly the Beatles, but certainly to Mal is Brian dying yeah. prematurely yeah. before the infrastructure was built, because then it left four really young guys to build the infrastructure. And we know what that looked like. Yeah, you know, right. they built the, they built a chocolate factory, you know? Yeah,
2: <laughs> I actually was going to point out something with a question that kind of piggybacks, and I, I know we'll go more into the interpersonal relationships, but I noticed, like, a common thread throughout the book, and one of them is dealing with Brian and then the Beatles themselves, and on page 125, uh, you discuss Brian raising his hand at Mal, but you uh, he said in his diary, but it did please me uh, knowing that... Even with all the police protection, this is a Glasgow audience show, the Beatles had, Brian still wanted me at hand to look after them. And he was so pleased. He, he, it's like he made some excuses for the, the mistreatment or bad behavior with knowing that he was needed.
1: Oh, and that's what he wanted, right? I mean, you know, yeah. Mal is, and it's interesting how well he ends up getting along with John Lennon, who is a secret sentimentalist, and oh, here's yeah. Mal, who is was a big time sentimentalist, right? Mal wanted to be loved. And one of the last things John said was, well, don't forget, I'm a performing flea. I want you to love me, you know? <laughs> Mal, yeah, Mal ate that up. He, he would interpret people's actions, you know, I don't know if, unfortunately, we don't know uh, because of those surviving materials necessarily how Brian felt about Mal, but it pleased him to no end. That, you know, he was trusting the most precious cargo in their world with Mal Evans,
0: And definitely the sense that I got over and over again, obviously, was um, that Mal wanted to be useful. Like that was the most validating thing for him.
1: Absolutely. And that's why, you know, toward the end of his life, he's working with lots of young bands trying to find ways to help them. He really wanted to help. It was that great line from George Harrison, right, that Mal wasn't kidding when he wanted to serve. He really did enjoy that kind of work. Um, And not everybody's cut out for it. People develop egos. Mal was good at keeping his ego in check. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he really was perfect for them. But we all need a Mal, right? I mean, Mal is the reason why we have all this great music. He's the guy who at 2.30 in the morning could say, you guys need a meal? I can cook it. And if I can't cook it, I'll go get it. He knew who to wake up. He knew if, uh, you know, a guitar broke, he could go to Sound City and he would call the owner and say, meet me at 3 a.m. And the guy would show up, <laughs> you know, you got to have a guy like that. Mal, you know yeah. what Mal was, was the fixer in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, he was. But I think in addition to that, he has, I think one of the most important things about him, though, was his like lovable quality his lovability but also like his loving quality the fact that he adored the beatles so much i think was really important like i think it unlike neil let's say and that's not to say that neil you know didn't love the beatles or wasn't warm or whatever um but obviously you know mal is universally described as like lovable warm like i think paul calls him like a teddy bear over and yeah. over again or, yeah. you know like a stuffed animal like he kind of is like a a support animal almost you know not to call him an animal but you know what i mean like <laughs> you know he's like a pillow kind of to them i mean he he doesn't just get them stuff that he that they need but he also gives them piggyback rides you know like he he'll cuddle them if they need to you know like any he, and he just worships them and loves them all the time. And that's an amazing feeling, you know? I mean, that's like, That's why I keep saying we all need a Mal. We all need a
2: Mal.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, he is, uh, my, my cats have these uh, comfort fish that just lay around the house and they lay on them like pillows. I mean, they once had catnip in them, right? But they don't anymore. And now they're just little (laughs) pillows. I I think absolutely Mal functioned in that, that way for them. He was their first audience for lots of their songs. Right. He was the guy who I I was going to call the book, brother Malcolm. And then I was thinking of mother Malcolm because he really did mother. Yeah. Yeah. And I got one of Mal's sisters told me that she said, I really always thought of them Mal as being their
0: surrogate mother. Uh, And I I do think there's some truth to that. I definitely agree. Is he a nurturing quality to him?
2: Yeah, yeah, do you think,
0: do you believe that's why
2: so much was asked of, well, not only of, of Mal, but Neil? But it's not only were they seen, especially Mal, as this nurturer, but they were there from the beginning, they're, they're, they're Liverpudlians. Do, do you feel like that's part of what was, uh, why Mal was so requested to do so much?
1: I think you're right. And, you know, Lily said at one point that they would get jealous of who had Mal at the moment, mm-hmm. particularly in the studio years, you know, when Mal, was always a phone call away and would go, you know, flitter out between their houses, doing stuff for them, which meant that <laughs> Mal's family saw Mal even less. But, um, you know, I, I think that's true. I think they adored having that person, right? I mean, Elvis had the Memphis Mafia. I think in a lot of ways, Mal was better for his charges than the Memphis Mafia ever was for Elvis. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he adored having that role and taking care of them, and they... Think about few people they could trust in the world, right? You know, either people were going to exploit them or rip them off. And here's this one guy who you can count on for a certain demeanor and a certain way of doing things. There's a great line from George years later. He said, I still occasionally look around for Mal wishing he still existed. It's so wonderful. Yeah. And and by the way, right. If you read this book and you love George, you're going to love him even more when it's over. Oh, oh, there. Yes,
0: there was so like Mal and George together from the beginning. I, I it was so charming from the beginning. Uh, Mal's relationship with with George and with Paul was so yes sweet and really throughout the whole book.
1: Yeah, it just. Uh, I mean, he had great relationships with all of them, no doubt about it. But George, in the eighties, going to to Lily and saying, "I've got to apologize for yes. what happened." Yeah. That just floored me uh when I heard it. I thought wow, I loved him before. This is what a stand up person George Harrison is. Yeah. Because there's he had no reason. There was no obligation to do that.
0: And also can we talk about John? I'd love to see how their relationship evolved because in the beginning, you know, it seemed like John took a while a little bit, not a while, long time, but like longer than the others to warm up to Mal <laughs> sort of, mm, you know, stand up. Which by of the it. way,
1: but makes perfect sense. George does. Has John has abandonment issues that were well-earned.
0: Yeah. And you kept know, him get, at a distance. And then once he got, got to know him, it was very, very sweet.
1: It yeah. really was. I mean, even calling him the few days before Mal died, I This is how this works, right? So we got a little press this weekend, people. And a few people have shown up and emailed me. And one of them was a guy who went over the next day after Mal's dead. His body's barely been removed. And the phone rang. He was uh, an engineer who worked with um, Mal's girlfriend's ex-husband. And they were there to help Fran out. And um, the phone rang. And this guy answered the phone thinking it was Fran and they could help her. It was John Lennon. This is January 5th, 1976. John does not know what's happened. He says what Aww. the F is what the F is going on out there. And he handed the phone to Fran's ex-husband who took the call and John went from you need to tell me what's going on to just breaking down, you know at that news.
0: Yeah, that was a lovely part of the book too. And then also John's letter to Lil and Gary at the end. Yeah, I mean, if, oh if you God. loved him before,
1: you're going to love him even more, you know.
0: Yeah. That's.
1: Yeah, I, that's so I, thoughtful.
0: It's so thoughtful. And also, writing a letter to Lil when I think her, her dad died.
1: Yeah, he, would, like, he was good that way.
0: So kind. Yeah. I mean, he's John, you know, in all of his John ways. But, like, <laughs> when he's sweet, he's so sweet. And that's just very thoughtful. I letter. think it reminds
1: us that a lot of the things that make their music so timeless and we keep finding more nuance to love about it is reflected in things like that. Right. So those, those aspects of John are baked into that music, you know, like nowhere, man, I, I was teaching that last week in class and we talked about just how meaningful it is for someone to write, especially someone who's extraordinarily famous like that to write about someone who's so lonely and so lost and so isolated. You know, what does that mean to us? Um, and I, I find these kind of stories really powerful because they're another window into why we do love them. We love them for a reason.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, I also just want to talk about Mal and Paul for a bit because, you know, their relationship is one of the most predominant in the book, really. Absolutely. Sure. I mean, you can tell that, like, Mal has a really special special connection with Paul or a special feeling for Paul. Yeah. And some of my favorite parts of the book were all the details of their trips together to Spain, Africa, America, Greece, just so lovely. And I, I love the way that Mal documented it, not just the trips, but like any quality time that they spent together, which was really a striking amount. Um, But just like, mal recording little things that paul said to him like this is for you mal when he played an elvis song or like yeah you know you're yeah. the straightest oh, yeah. person here and like he, you know just like write things that Paul. like he obviously adored him so much
1: and so- and we know he did you know i like the sort of sideways views we get um when when mal was living at cavendish avenue and gary was coming over to visit the yes. scene of Gary rushing upstairs <laughs> yes. to fix to fix his hair because he knows at six years old or whatever that this guy's really important to daddy right yeah
0: he, he put mean, on his Paul McCartney clothes or whatever yeah. he like.
1: <laughs> I love those scenes because you know they're really they're really human.
2: They are. And you did such a great job. I know Phoebe said it at the very beginning, but I, I could see so many things going on as I was reading it. It just was coming off the pages. Uh, and, and it just is the a testament for Mal being larger than life.
1: At the thoughtfulness. I like the scene with the one woman who kind of fancied Mal a little bit, and he obviously liked her. The woman from the United States who uh, was at the Bag of Nails Club. And he made sure he got to introduce her to Paul.
0: Yes. You know, because
1: he knew how important that was to her. You know, he wasn't getting anything for it. It wasn't any, there wasn't transactional. I like those scenes because they are, you know, people knowing how something's important for somebody else. Like George, you know, George, when George realizes that one of Mal's ambitions is to, to work behind the booth in in a recording studio, George gets him lessons. I mean, you know, yeah, That's
2: wonderful. It... and he That's encourages wonderful. him to be a bassist as well.
1: Well, but, but yeah, much earlier, but he, he encourages him to be a songwriter. Yeah. You know, he, uh, it's wonderful that there are people in your life who fight for you, right? Yeah. Who fight for you to be successful. And George wanted to be that guy for Mal. I yeah. think they all did at a certain point,
0: you know. There was that scene that was so lovely where Paul's talking to Elvis on the phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he's like, hang on, and he passes the phone to Mal because he knows Mal is like an Elvis fanatic. That was so sweet, too.
1: Yeah, Paul. Yeah, Mal likes Elvis more than they do, certainly after they met him, too.
2: <laughs> yeah, I actually right? have a, a question about that. Um, one thing I really loved about learning more about Mal is, is his fandom uh, for Elvis, mm-hmm. the Beatles, for music scenes, as evidenced in the beginning of the early days uh, by working as a bouncer and being closer to the group. What specifically stands out to me is that he seemed to have an awakening when he met the Beatles and he began working as the bouncer and so forth. Could you comment further on Mal's fandom? And would you argue that Mal Mal identified as a fan first, then a friend and a roadie or even a
1: family man? Absolutely. It was uh, it was it was fandom. And um, I got a nice confirmation that recently from uh, gosh, from Pete Best who said that, you Mm. know, this is where Mal started. He started as, he started as a fan. That's where, you know, that's where he began. That's where the story began for him. And um, I like that, you know, that he was living out kind of his own rock and roll aspirations (laughs) through them. You know, he had, he kind of toyed with the guitar earlier. He'd probably given it up too soon. Um, You know, it it was pretty powerful.
0: Well, what was fun to me is not just how much he was a fan of the Beatles, because we we kind of knew that already. But like, I, I was so amused to find how much he loved showbiz in general. Yes. <laughs> like whenever there was a famous person, you know, he was so excited and writing it down in his book and stuff. It was very cute. That's and right.
1: Kind of yeah, surprised we me. We have we have his uh, we do have his um uh, he wrote about fifty pages about meeting with Elvis. You know, so we have this oh, really wow. full rundown on that. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a very bit. That's far and away the most, the most detailed account of the Elvis meeting that I've ever heard. That, that was <laughs> yeah. wild.
1: Well, and obviously, you know, Mal, uh, um, Mal took special note <laughs> of that
0: day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh ken there are some amazing photos in this book oh my gosh oh yes. gee i was just reminded <laughs> yeah. of the the photo of mal in the um What is it, it's the girls 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 robe <laughs> like, right <little laughs> <pump hard. laughs> but uh there was that one well, obviously the biggest news which w- we saw online earlier this week
2: yes Accompanying. Yeah. i think it's pe- pe- people
0: it was, oh, uh, that's the people right. Of, yeah, the people of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, that brand new photo of John and Paul in 1974. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, it was, um, you know, uh, it, I, I'm glad we got to share that with the world. Um, you know, we'll have a nice, even better version of it in book two, restored and I'm very proud of the photos we have in book one, uh, but some of them are gonna really pop in color as full page kind of experiences in the oh, second wow. book. You know, Yay. yeah. The press was very generous. They gave us a hundred photos, which is an unusually high uh, amount to give to us to the others So we were, we were pretty spoiled.
0: Oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. My other favorite one is Paul stretched out on the hood of the car in Colorado. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a great shot.
1: That's another one we have in color. Yeah, that's just beautiful. Oh
0: yay! (laughs) I can't wait for that one. Yeah, it's good. Good stuff.
2: Yeah, I liked Mal as a cowboy, and you know, I lived in Liverpool, (laughs) and and the concept of a cowboy or saying I because I know uh, Ken, we're from we're we're nearby uh, from our origins and outside of Houston, and (laughs) right. Um, I, I know that Liverpudlians in general. Seem to have at least a certain age of Liverpudlians. Seem to have an affinity for cowboys, and in the eighties, I believe they wore. Yeah. And yeah, the old west, and they actually had um, clubs in the seventies and eighties where they where they wore cowboy boots. You don't see them in Liverpool very often now, but there was quite a movement for that. So I'm not surprised that Mal had such an affinity for that.
1: He really did, and and of course, you know the the subtext begins pretty early involving firearms.
0: Yes, yeah, for sure. Of,
1: yeah
0: but um Ringo was he was pretty into the whole cowboy mystique wasn't he as well
1: that's right he was going to immigrate to Texas and I don't I don't remember what year that what was year was that Allison like 1958 Uh-oh. or
0: something so <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, come on Ringo come hang out come to Texas and <laughs> anytime you want <laughs> yeah I know that I know that he liked uh, country music that he's a country music fan Hmm. I've always found that incredibly charming actually British people who love country music I find extremely charming well I think it it makes sense especially in their generation with folk
2: music is that when you hear a lot of folk music it crosses over into country and you can't escape the origins there so I'm not not surprised it was such a big uh, a big influence at the time
1: that's right and and, you know they didn't have an old west I mean we didn't really have an old west quite frankly but um, yeah. But they didn't have an, an old West per se. And, you know, it, it's interesting to think about this kind of lawless period, right, um, that that existed and, you know, where civilization hadn't quite caught up yet, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it, oh, I sure. can see why there was an excitement in that way.
0: Oh, definitely. And it's so, it's so American.
1: Yeah. I mean. Um, it Obviously, Mal lived it through and through. And that's kind of why I pointedly started. With that favorite movie of his, you know, the Western that he saw at the Liverpool mm. Cinema all those years ago.
0: Yeah, I have to say the uh, the end, I mean, his his demise was really horrifying. But, I mean, I, I, the way you told it was superb.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I, you know, there was... I mean, there's just no other, you had to walk, I had to go through that, and it was the slowest part to write because I didn't want it to happen. Um, Of course. Yeah. You know, I mean, it it didn't have to happen, certainly. Uh, Mal willed it to happen, as we know, but um, literally having written a will the night before, right? But it was, uh, that didn't change how horrifying it was. was Pretty tough to write.
0: Yeah, but I could see it very vividly. I mean, again, it's a compliment to your writing. It's not. Well, thank you. I, Even I though it was horrifying,
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> certainly yeah, it was not father,
0: exploitative at all. My father kind of said it best
1: when he told me that, uh, you know, he he probably read the book four times, just being a good beta reader or whatever, and he said uh, every time he would will it not to happen, uh, you know, but but the pieces would just start falling into place where it was a, you know, a, an inescapable conclusion.
0: Yeah. There was something that um, that Mal said, actually, that he wrote in one of his diaries. I don't know if it was part of a poem or if it was just a thought that he put down, but he said, I hope I'm getting this quote right, I'm paraphrasing now, but like, fear is knowing what's going to happen, but hoping that it doesn't.
1: Yeah, and let's face it, right, he was probably living with that for a long time before he ever got there.
0: That's a great way to describe dread. actually. Yeah, I mean, I, the reason why I would
1: keep fear there is because there must have been part of him because he would say things to friends who he was really close to, like, I want to go out on a hail of bullets or, or what have you. I, I think there was fear for him for a long time. As we know yeah. about folks who commit suicide, right? They think about it for yeah. a while before it ever comes to pass.
2: I, I, just to change the direction real quick, I actually uh, wanted to h- ask, um, I noticed you dedicated the book for Lily of Allerton and we know who she is, but could you tell us why?
1: Um, I, I had that from the beginning when we, when we started. Uh, Lily, when I first met Gary, was suffering from pretty serious dementia. So I never had a solid interview with her. Fortunately, I had her papers, and she had left some very good, very good testimony. I mean, I would have been lucky to get as solid a testimony as I got from those papers out of a living lily. But she died this year, but she's been on a journey to dying for three years. And mm-hmm. Gary was kicking around people that we should dedicate it to. And I said, Gary, it's going to be dedicated to your mom.
0: Yes, it she's is. not. Yeah. She's
1: not going to see the end of this book and of all the people who stood by him for as long as she possibly could it's lily and uh we put lily of allerton because that's how paul always referred to her oh it's lily oh, of allerton that's so, so we were trying sweet. to i was echoing that but uh you know we can dedicate book 2 to other folks but book 1 had to go to lily because you know she was the i mean my god the biggest casualty in this book the person I, absolutely the show, you know she even as Mal failed her in every possible way, right? At the end, she still loved him and she still loved their family.
2: Yeah, I definitely struggled with Mal at a few moments. Uh, and I understand that sometimes you realize things after you make uh, very difficult to change life choices. And uh, just with some of the promiscu- promiscuity from Mal. And, and I know, and I expect that in with people who are involved in, in in bands and especially from this time period but I, mm-hmm. I cried for lily a few times that's for sure i didn't dislike mal uh, because i know he's human and it just yeah. makes him humanistic and we realize that yes he's big mal but he also has his faults um but he's also following a passion but it's leaving behind a family and so it's 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 not an unusual story in that case but it i just i cried for lily a few times yeah so I'm, well I'm so, i love that it was dedicated to her
0: I I had the same thought. At the end of the book, I was like, man, if there is anyone who was hard done in this book, it's Lily for sure. I don't think you could read this book and disagree with that. Um, it wasn't just he, that, like, Mal slept with other women, but, like, some of his treatment of her, like, finding the notes and the phone numbers. and it, It's all pretty
1: horrible. And, um, you know, I would even add... Uh... You know, when it comes to Beatles versus family, Beatles won every time. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, remember, the only person who stood by him at the beginning when he said, I'm going to go do this thing, his whole family's upset with him. Everybody thinks it's a bad idea. It's Lily.
2: Do you think that working with the Beatles or for the Beatles was filling a need for love and attention that family life was not?
1: Oh, possibly. You know, I mean, I think there are lots of ways to read that. Um, Lily said it when she said, you know, you don't have to go with them to be a star. You're already someone who has those qualities. I thought that was pretty poignant uh, coming from her. Yeah. Um, But, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, We you know, anyone who sees fame and spends any time around it, you start to see some pretty awful things pretty fast the way people will change their behaviors, you know, um, to be close to it, what they'll give up to be close to that white hot candle of celebrity. Right. I mean, it's kind of sick. Um, and it it shows you it tells you a lot about the people who then act normal. We're almost impressed with them because they're not acting strange because of what the proximity to fame is doing to them.
2: I just wanted to follow up with that. Were there some moments in the diary where he recounts some events that were difficult for you to read? And how did you process them uh, as you were preparing to write about them?
1: Oh, uh, I mean, there are several where, you know, they they may seem in the grand scheme of things like not very much. But, you know, when Mal is consciously stringing Lily and the family along while he stays in America for five more weeks or whatever, I mean, I, I would find myself angry at him and disappointed in him, mm. you know, because we know he knows better. That's the problem for Mal is yeah. we know that he has a conscience, that he has a heart. We know that he knows better. Um, and yet he sometimes can't get those better angels to go with him. Even in that scene, actually, the, probably the, the angriest I was is the scene where they go on the last family vacation before Mal moves to the United States. And Gary is like, Dad, you're going to leave us, aren't you? And Mal won't even have the conversation. Gary's the adult in that conversation.
0: Yeah. Gary really is a strong character in the book as well. He is. (laughs) Um, Even when he shoots Keith. Poor Keith.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If people haven't read the book, don't worry. Keith's okay.
0: (laughs) Um. Oh, there was that, I was going to ask you if we if we don't want to talk about this, we don't have to, but um, just thinking of some of the more horrible things in the book that might have been hard to write about, there was that incident with Sounds Incorporated in the hotel? Uh, yeah, that you know what?
1: I, I did a lot of extra research around many of the sort of sub-narratives in this book. I did as much as I possibly could because um, my spidey sense suggests that and i'm and the beatles did not do this that one of the uh, perhaps bands on the bill or yeah. somebody did something pretty atrocious that night
0: yeah well that's yeah. what it sounds like cuz it so it sounds like and correct me if i'm wrong that we don't really know like we can't there's no proof there's no police report like we don't really know what happened but i would say generally like when there's two or three conflicting accounts it's probably the worst one i I
1: think it probably is the worst one too or at least well even the middle one's not very good yeah. Um, yeah i I think I think we should be relieved that um even though the press uh you know didn't have certain well I don't know if they have any values now but we certainly have the value yeah. of not naming the name of the victim and I'm glad that that person's name was never. Yeah. Um, circulated. Although if I'd known the name, it would have helped me figure out perhaps sure. what really happened. So that's yeah, kind of course. a double-edged sword there, but I'd rather her name not be out there, but yeah, I'm still not sure what happened then. Um And Mal's account suggests that a people, and again, very likely not the Beatles, um, yeah. something pretty crummy happened that night. Yeah. And uh you know, I, for all of the stories of behavior on the road, um, the Beatles, of course, come off pretty tame compared to Led Zeppelin or what we know about oh, the yeah. 1970s. Oh, um, it, what, what's interesting to me is how different things are in 1965 when they sort of retreat inward, right? When they don't want to party every night, in their suite, They don't want, you know, whatever novelty was over pretty quickly for them. Uh, with with all of that business
0: yeah I found that pretty shocking I mean I know there were there's definitely some uh, sex parties in Australia and stuff like we've read about those Um, yeah
1: but there's nothing new in this book as far as you know there are no big revelations about those events Um, those have been written about before you know um, yeah
0: well I think they're just pretty standard you know prostitutes and whatever <laughs> i suppose <laughs> you know
1: and look you know like in the philippines or in japan sometimes the promoters would think well these must be rock stars so we need to go get a bunch of oh yeah for them. you know and they would all sort of look at each other like what
0: <laughs> yeah you know, so that
1: some in some cases those are examples of you know the pr- the promoters thinking they knew what people wanted
0: that was a real that was real like huh i guess it's 1966 isn't it moment in the book where it's just like yeah this is just like a standard it's like a crudite plate or whatever like we're just gonna bring you right five succulent females to do whatever you want with right and I mean, Mal
1: was probably more interested yeah. in times than that than they were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. You know, I, I'm kind of curious. So you said something that I feel too, and I, I, I'm i trying to process it. You know, we now know so much more about him. We're disappointed in him deeply yeah. at times. Why do we still love him at the end, do you think?
0: Ooh, I... Mm. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. I, can, I can say on a really shallow level, honestly... Um, I find it relatable how much he loves the Beatles.
2: (laughs) Sure. I also feel that he, I think we can all relate to Mal and not just the Beatle loving, but the fandom aspect and the devotion. And just as you said earlier, Ken, is that we all need a Mal is that he was just like any great person is so, so great on so many levels. And they're always going to have their flaws. Uh, it, it's a, I don't know, it's like with John Lennon. <laughs> I asked myself the same question.
0: Yeah, or all the Beatles, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And
1: um, I guess in a way it's the, Mal's living out the fantasy of the most diehard fans, right? Having that level yeah. of proximity. And it's yeah. so
2: important to them as well. I think that's also, if they're important to the Beatles, of course they're you know, someone would be important to us, and he did. He sure. did
0: contribute a lot too. Well, and no, I absolutely. was, just, yeah, I was struck by the amount of emotional support and emotional labor he's kind of doing just by, like I said, just like being around and like somebody around who thinks that everything you do is great is a good feeling.
1: Absolutely, and you know, again, he's the first audience. Maybe he is. What did John say? You're my favorite animal. I mean, maybe today John would have said, "You're my favorite support animal."
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) support animal. Can you tell us about the next book that's coming out? Or is it a book, or is it like a collection?
1: It's a book, Um, but I mean, it uh, it well, but collection. So you nailed it with that too. So. It will be many, many more photographs. We have a 400 photograph allowance on that one, so it's four wow. times. That's it great. will be the diaries uh, from 1963 through 1974. Mal stopped writing in 75. Uh, he didn't stop writing, he stopped writing a diary. What he wrote instead were notebooks. So some years he really concentrates on his notebooks, but they essentially function like his diaries. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll turn to the, the notebooks in the years when the diaries aren't important to him. We'll have his manuscripts for his uh, two main texts, his memoirs and his 1965 memoir, which was called Beatles USA. Um, we'll also have, um, you know, more ephemera, uh, stories about Mal from other folks, et cetera. So uh, it'll be a richer book, but in a different kind of way. And what I'm hoping with it. Um, If it comes off the way I want it to is it should be a book where we are. Other people can go down their own Mal Evans rabbit hole, right? So they can get this. They can get this book and and start following names and addresses and dates, et cetera, and create and learn about news stories that, you know, I didn't cover or didn't have time to cover. Oh, that's great. You know, so I'm really hoping I can't wait to see what other people come up with is probably a better way to put it. Oh, that's fantastic. I want want the right information to be there. uh, So much of it that people can go make their own discoveries and to be contextualized properly so that, you know, people can can go down those, uh, those paths for themselves.
0: That's great. I think some of us were a little bit scared when we heard that these were coming out. Cause I think maybe, you know, where we're like, Oh no, are there things we don't want to know about the Beatles? And I mean unless you're holding something back, I really didn't I really didn't read anything terrible about any of the Beatles in this book. No, yeah. I'm not holding I'm not holding anything back and um, you know, Mal
1: took what Ringo said to him very seriously in the last year or two when he was thinking about doing a project like this. Ringo said, if you're gonna go to the trouble of writing your memoirs or telling your story or telling us, Our story in the context of your story, right?
0: Yeah. He
1: said, tell the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And Mal did that. Now he mostly, if anybody's exposed in this book, it's Mal. But Mal would have told you that that was his story to tell. For sure, Um, yeah. there, There is a sense, and I think I remark on this at one point, that at a certain point, Mal seems to be realizing that maybe he's writing these dire entries for posterity. That it's not just about him. That he knows what he's doing when he's writing them.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, there it's there's almost this moment where you can sort of see that coming in.
0: He's a surprisingly good writer, actually.
1: Mal was a smart guy. Mal was a reader. You know, yeah. of course, more people were readers back in those days. But Mal was a reader. Um, he, uh, you know. Uh, enjoyed art, was a good artist. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, Mal, one of the reasons his family was frankly so pissed off when he went with the Beatles is he was educated. He owned a house, he owned a car. You know, he was yeah. in a pretty rare air. Yeah, he had a real job with a pension. I mean, that was pretty rare air for 1963. Yeah. In that town at that time. And so they, they couldn't believe he was going to give something like that up. You know, they were so proud of him. He was like, you know, the first son yeah. who had gone out and made good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I'm really excited for, you know, more and more people to read this because it's, it's not only more information on their favorite band, but you really get a peek into his life and to see just a whole other aspect of it. And I, and I didn't know much about Mal until now. So this is, this is great. Thank you.
1: Oh, well, I sure appreciate it. I, this, uh, this gives me uh, hope for the book. I'm glad to see that it connected with you. You know, when you, when you write something that this this long and this big, it's hard to it's
0: hard to gauge it. Oh, it was a joy to read, honestly. Honestly, Absolutely. and this and then it's been like this has been a crazy week and for beetle people, right? Yeah, it has. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, yeah, I, it really has. I haven't even asked you about now and then if you've what your thoughts on it were or did you enjoy um, it? Well. I was under an NDA for quite some time.
1: I'd heard it um, mm. like, a month, sometime a month or two ago. And uh, I really, um, I'm very moved by the whole business. You know, I'm moved by today's video that was released. I uh, I find the song moving um, as much for the story behind it and
0: mm-hmm.
1: trying yes. to explain our love affair with the Beatles for six decades, but just as much their internal yeah love for each other. And I, I think it puts a wonderful bow around that. Uh, but but I keep coming back to the same kind of conclusion, which is, you know, um, we're marking time this week with this important song, which um, will go out on a high note uh, and clearly is connected with lots of people who write about sobbing, right? In their living rooms, etc. cetera. <laughs> um, but, you know, the the, the the wonderful silver lining is We have all this music, just as John Lennon said in his last year, you have all this great music. You don't need the band to get together again. And um, when I when I teach my Beatles class every fall, I'm just extremely jealous of them because they have this for the rest of their lives. Right. And uh, (laughs) this richness, this experience that changes as we change, as we get older and uh, continue to experience the band. It's a beautiful thing, and this is kind of a nice commemoration this week with this release and, of course, with the Red and Blue albums next week yeah. of just how special this is. But it's going to be special for a long time, for centuries. Brian Epstein, mm-hmm. man, didn't he nail it when he said in 65, the children of 2000 will listen to the Beatles? Yeah. that must have. It must have seemed ridiculous when he said it. <laughs> no, seriously, because, you know, we hadn't even really had Rubber Soul yet and uh <laughs> yeah and yet, you know he's right. he knew.
0: he knew yeah he always knew that's so well put ken thank you and thank you did you, write a really lovely piece on now and then this week too which everybody well, should you. read if they oh well thank here. you
1: I, yeah i really wanted to bring it for them you know because uh um there's a lot of risk in this you know it might fall flat or it might have different kind of uh a different kind of resonance but i think I'm really proud for the people at Apple. I think they're getting, they're telling a great story this week and it's beautiful. And and oh, yeah. they're, you know, they're let they're giving old fans and new alike an opportunity to feel something really powerful, not just about the Beatles, but about themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so lovely. Thank you very much. And thank you for coming on the
1: show to talk to us. Anytime. You guys are great. This is one yeah. of the best podcasts. Everybody knows that.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Yes, Phoebe. Thank you for having me guest host today. And yes. thank you, Ken, for your time. It was, it was really wonderful to talk about this oh. upcoming book and, and with yourself.
1: Oh, yes. well, thank you, guys. This really meant a lot. Thank you so much. And uh, in a moment, I will I will give up my bench here in little Ukraine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Enjoy your time in little Ukraine.
1: All right. Thanks so much. Okay. See you guys soon. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank, thank you. you.
0: In times of heartache, Brother Malcolm comes to me speaking
2: words of wisdom. Let it be. And in my time of darkness, he is standing right in front of me.
0: Speaking Thank you for listening to Another Kind of Mind. If you enjoyed this episode of ACOM, please like, subscribe, share. Good reviews are always appreciated and have a safe and wonderful day.